Hey, welcome back to Noise Avocation Podcast. Uh, whatever episode this is, 67 or something like that. We don't know exactly where we're going to place you yet. Yeah, yeah. 60-something. 60-something. <laughs> but yeah, so today's episode, our interview will be with who? Dwid Hellion from... Oh, who shit. You may know from Integrity, uh, from Psy Warfare, from Vermapir. Vermapir. Yeah. I kept I kept wanting to say Vamapir. Me too. Yeah. But anyways... um. I mean, one, like, really fucking cool of him to take the time to sit and talk with us on the episode. Like, this guy's been putting out music for 30-plus years, and realistically, when you listen to his story, you're going to hear that he's been unintentionally making music since he was six, seven years old. Like, there was some stuff in this interview that kind of blew my mind that he did at such a young age. And I don't want to, like, give it away prior to, but um, for listeners tuning in, like, there is some really cool shit in this interview as far as uh, creativity. Like, I think this guy has definitely been on the more creative side of people that we've had the chance to talk to. And I'm not trying to say that to take away from anybody at all. Like, we appreciate everybody who comes on the show. It's just some of the things that he did and came up with or the instruments that he made and stuff like that you're like i to me i'm like i don't even know how you thought of that like where did that idea pop into your head so to hear them stories was um a lot of it made the interview a lot of fun most definitely and we hope you all enjoy it as well yeah i kept uh i mean like shit i could have went on I'm just talking for the next few hours because of all the cool stories and the the creativity. And like I said, uh, you know, so we were going to preview one of the tracks from Vermapir, but a lot of the songs are like seven, eight, nine, twenty 20 minutes long. Um, so if you're interested, there will be links in the band camp for that project. Uh, if you haven't heard Integrity, you can go check out Integrity on all streaming platforms. Uh, YouTube too. Um, you can follow everything on all Instagrams and Facebooks and Twitters. Yeah, and you can pick up Integrity's records through Relapse Records. Um, I'm pretty sure you can pick up some Psy Warfare stuff through Relapse, uh, like some splits and whatnot. And um, which you can purchase through the uh, Noise and Toys record shop located in Alpena, Michigan. Yeah, we have had a handful of Integrity stuff in, and the next time I place a relapse order, there will definitely be more Integrity items in the store. So if you're into the band, come in, buy them, support your local record store, uh, support them as a band, go check out his various projects, follow them on Instagram, etc., like Jeremy said. But uh, unless you have anything else, Jeremy, I'm going to jump right into things and then get Let's started get to talking it. to do it. We're here with Dwid from uh, Integrity, from Psy Warfare, from Vermapire. Uh, you've run your own label. You are a man of many different uh, hats, so to say. So thanks for uh, taking <laughs> the time to jump on the show. We appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Did you just get back to Belgium from the uh, Cold as Life show? Yeah, last week. I got back on Thursday. I, I stayed at some of my family's house visiting with them uh, in Ohio, 
for a few days after the show. And then I flew back. It took, you know, I get, I leave on Wednesday. I get home on Thursday because the time difference and the distance itself. So right. it's quite a journey. <laughs> it's uh, it's what six hours ahead of where we're at, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, you're actually the the second person from Belgium that we've interviewed. Or, oh. Well, you're who's located in Belgium? I guess the other guy was like born and raised there, so he had a pretty heavy accent. His band was Subatomic. Subatomic Strangers. Strangers, yeah. Oh, cool. They were like a. I don't know, kind of a mixture of like '80s new wave and like synth pop type of stuff. It, it was a unique sound. So how'd you get yeah, from? Yeah, Belgium has a long history of strange music. So yeah, yeah, that's what he was saying. Basically, is there's a ton of different like genres you wouldn't even realize are out there over in the you know Germany, Belgium, that sort of thing. Yeah. How did you? You were born in Ohio, if I remember that right. I was born in Indiana. Indiana. Indiana, that's right. I knew it was one of them states right under us. So how did you yeah. get from Ohio and move over to Belgium? Like, what caused you to move over there? Well, I'm, I, my family moved to Ohio when I was 16 years old, and then I started some bands, and uh, I made some records around when I was 16. I think right almost immediately I got a record deal and had records, and then we started touring. And um, when I was about... 18 years old we were able to tour in europe so i i've been coming back and forth from europe um since i was 18 and uh when i was like i think i was like 32 or something or 30 i don't, I don't, I don't recall maybe 32 i was uh on tour over here and a friend of mine bought a house and it was a big house and he lived there alone and he said hey you know if you want to stay after the tour you you can have a room you can stay as long as you want man have a vacation and then I thought to myself, man, I, I could have been doing this since I was 18. I never thought about Fucking that. I just yeah. come here, work, and go back home. You know, I never thought, I never thought, because sometimes we would pass by places, historical places, and me and, you know, different people throughout the years in the band, musicians, other musicians would be like, man, we, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see this place. And they would always be like, oh, too bad. We, we have a long drive. So I never get to see anything on most of those tours. So I got to stay and have a have a vacation, and I, I liked it. And there was a, I mean, it's a long story. I don't know how interesting it is to anybody, but you know, basically, like uh, living in, in in the small in, in Cleveland, Ohio, is where I used to live, and uh, there wasn't a lot of people who were making records, so people were kind of spoiling me a bit. So I felt that I was just having a hedonistic time, having a good time all the time. And I hated that because I wasn't getting any work done. I was just playing and I wasn't working at all. And uh, I decided, well, if I live in a place where nobody knows me at all, and and by the, you know, just to, for clarity, it wasn't like I'm fucking Elvis of, of Cleveland or anything like that. But it was just like, if I would go <laughs> no, out, people would be like, oh, come on in, have some free drinks. Let's hang out late. You know, let's stay after hours, you know, just different things like that. And it would got up to be, just too decadent and I wasn't getting any work done. So when I moved to Belgium, you know, nobody knew who I was or anything like that. And again, it's, you know, it's not trying to say that I'm famous or anything like that, but it was more like in Cleveland, people just were, were too generous to me and uh, it was getting in the way of my work. So when I moved here, I was able to focus more on my work and be more isolated, which, which was a benefit for me. 
most people would go the other way and, and want to have uh, the, the accolades and have, uh, you know, that kind of treatment. But I preferred to be able to do the work. And uh, that's what keeps me going, keeps me feeling good. Oh, I could, see, I could see falling into that trap like real easy, like when you're younger, you know, other than just. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's oh, a weird thanks, thing thanks. to say. It's going that out, out every night. <laughs> it's that Midwest hospitality. Yeah. Dude. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it fucks with your work. Fucking ethic. rust belt. Everybody's crazy. But um, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you uh, marry a woman from Belgium as well? Yeah. My wife is a Belgian person. And she. Uh, she thinks that America is like super dangerous, like Grand Theft Auto. So she didn't want to live there either. So uh, <laughs> I don't think she's entirely wrong. Yeah. It's a funny thing. It depends on where you're. Well, at, at the time, it wasn't as much Grand Theft Auto as it is nowadays. You know? Yeah, but, apparently we yeah. can just smash and grab things. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of people that think that about the states, though. But that it, that I guess they're gnarly. not they're not entirely wrong in some areas. So well, we're is what we're, it is. we're up in northern Michigan. Uh -huh. um, northeastern Michigan, and so it's um there's a lot of like kind of rednecks around, and so we kind of stand out in this area. That's why uh -huh. that's why I was like um when uh, I was communicating with you earlier, I was like, dude, Belgium is a place that I would like love to check out just because of uh like the scene, and then kind of like the same reasons it'd be cool to go somewhere where like nobody knows you, you know what I mean? And you can just kind of yeah, like, start. Not Oh, just... it dropped out, I think. Oh, okay. No, he just stopped mid-sentence. <laughs> I didn't stop. I just oh. said that's like where you can start, you yeah, know, no. like you start over or whatever. I don't know. You're good. Oh, okay. Start but, over, yeah. But I, I never... You um... just said start, so I thought it, it dropped off. How does the... Um... Yeah, I mean, where I live, you you could walk uh, a few, maybe like 10 minutes, and then you could walk past an old castle from medieval times and things oh, like that. So I don't live in a castle, nothing like that, but I could walk. And through the woods and, and see stuff like that. And I find that to be inspiring, you know, so. Yeah, that's really cool. So does any of Not the... for everybody. It's a different different uh, environment than I grew up in, and I, I find it nice. Right on. Yeah, it would be nice to have a change of scenery and stuff. Does any of the, like, the architecture and the old medieval buildings and castles and stuff have any inspiration on the Vermapire project at all? Like, whether it's art-wise or just... Yeah, I mean, I think, it's, I think it is... I think it inspires all my projects to some degree, you know, wherever you are, that you're, you're sort of a conduit for everything around you mm -hmm. and you absorb that and then you reciprocate that back out into the world. So probably, yeah, I mean, I, I like to look at this stuff, but it's almost gotten to a point where it's not as new and fresh as it was to me when I first moved here, of course, you know, it's, it starts to, your, your mind starts to filter things out that would normally be spectacular to see, but occasionally I'll find myself like, oh, wow, that's amazing that i can walk by something like that yeah that's um as i get older around here um i've lived by lake here on literally my almost basically my entire life so we take that shit for granted all the time and as i get older i try to like take that shit in and like try to appreciate it more you know what i mean because yeah not everybody has that and that's one thing that keeps me here too is like i don't know if i'd ever want to leave the lake you know mm -hmm. like just that that's inspiring to to me in a sense you know what i'm saying like how the castles would yeah be i understand 100 when I, I when i grew up in indiana i lived like on a farm there was nothing around for miles and miles and miles and i remember being like really little kid looking out over cornfields and thinking like man there has to be more than this you know <laughs> yeah, i had for a, sure i had a tv and everything and this is in the 70s 
and I could see on TV sometimes that people lived in different locations. I mean, I was a little kid, so I didn't really know how to logically think about this, but I would be like, okay, I've seen movies where people live in castles and I've seen movies where people live in skyscrapers and I've seen movies where people live, you know, in suburban homes. How come I can't see that from my vantage point? Obviously that makes sense now as to why I can't, but back then I couldn't imagine cause I thought I could see it almost to the end of the world, you know, right, right. <laughs> where the horizon was. So, like, where so are these that, skyscrapers? that got, yeah, that maybe got like a little bit of a bug into my mind, making me question it and making me want to uh, travel the world a bit. I'm not sure but it's possible growing up on a farm, like in the middle of nowhere. Cause I, we have a lot of that around here. So we know like what it's like. Yeah, we know I didn't grow up on a farm, but they're not, they're not far from just being in the city. Mm-hmm. How did you get into the style of music that you're creating currently, like through integrity and through all your other projects? I guess at the start would be, uh, because if if you live in like an isolated area, then you you probably are familiar with becoming bored as fuck. Yeah, and being, <laughs> yeah for sure. And living in the early seventies, it's really easy to be bored because there was no phones, there was no internet, there wasn't even video cassette tapes invented at that time yet. Or at least they weren't public by that time when I was a little kid. So really, the only thing you could do is and television was was a program situation where you had three channels and you could wait up on one of the channels had like horror movies on Saturday night only really late, like 11 o'clock at night. And that was all you could watch for a horror movie all week. So I would, I would wait up. Uh, that would be my, my thing to look forward to every week. And I'd stay up and I'd watch those. And then I had a cassette player like for audio like the kind that you might have found in a library in the 60s or something. And um, I would record what I'd, the audio, because it wasn't even like something you would even imagine possible that you could record the video back then. So I'd record the audio and then I'd play it back throughout the week and listen to the show and reimagine what I had seen, usually and hopefully misremembering what I had seen so that my imagination started to like develop better because of that. And um, so I would start making these tapes. And I remember some one of the days I got bored and I looked at the cassette tape itself and I saw that there were some screws on it. And I said, well, uh, how does this thing work? So I took a screwdriver and I unscrewed. I don't even think I took a screwdriver. I think I took a knife and And used it like a screwdriver. I took the screws out and I tried to figure out how this thing worked. And at some point after messing around with them and breaking them, I made like like what would be loop tape. And then I use scotch tape, like the kind you use for uh, Christmas presents and stuff, to, to tape it together, the, the, the band, like a rubber band kind of length of, of uh, magnetic tape inside the cassette and put it back in there. And then I would record other sounds and hear it go over and over again, looping and think, oh, that sounds pretty crazy, you know? And uh, what else? Um, I would take like Elmer's glue, which is like kind of a children's glue that's like white colored. Oh, yeah. And usually used on paper. You know that stuff. Oh, yeah. So I would take that and pour it all over my grandparents' old uh, gospel or country western '78 records, like the real big ones from the olden days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I would coat those records up with this glue, and then I I imagined it would dry like in an hour, but it took like four or five <laughs> days maybe. And finally, when it dried, I like I would peel it off and and made a copy of it, and because uh, I knew the records worked off grooves, and I wondered what it would sound like if. I made a copy and I guess that my first thought was it would sound the same or sound backwards. 
And uh, so then I put it on the, uh, put the glue version copy onto the turntable and I would play that and it would sound pretty crazy. Uh, it'd be like inverted, you know? And um, I would mess around with that and, and play around. And then eventually I got a second cassette player because my grandparents saw that I found it to be a fun toy and somebody in the family gave me another one. So then I'd use those and tape each other things, you know, I'd like, I guess, make mixed, uh, sort of mixed multi-track stuff, but it wasn't really on purpose. And I didn't, you know, keep this in mind. None of this was like, hey, I'm going to have a music career. It was right. just like, hey, this could be cool to have multiple sounds. And then I realized, oh, if I turn this one down and turn this one up on their own independent, you know, volume things, one would be louder in the the mix, but I didn't think of calling it that. I don't know what I called it. I just would just do it for fun and make crazy sounds because it it passed the time. And sort of what I was saying to to Jeremy earlier when I was late to your uh, to your to your podcast, I apologize for that. Was I was sitting here drawing, and when I draw, I just zone out and I, I go. Uh, I'm in between time. The time flies really fast when you're in there, but it doesn't feel like it flies fast. And the same thing was true when I was making these recordings and other things like that. I just sort of get lost in time and um, and I find it enjoyable. So I just started messing around with recording things. Uh, also, because I lived out out in the middle of nowhere, we'd have uh, like the power lines would come from these big, big posts, like kind of like uh, big tree posts that'd be up into the uh, up into the air, and then they'd have the the power lines cutting across those. They'd be like a T shaped, you know. Oh yeah, we still got them here. We still got them in your area. Yeah, so so yeah, like out in the out in the in in the in the country areas, it's like that. So the these lines would come down to the house, and then they'd have like sort of like a ground line where it'd go from the house down. So I don't know if that was because of the because the power or because of like lightning or whatever it was whatever reason but they'd have this like grounding cable that come from the house and come down and it happened to be connected to the outside of like where the garage was where we parked the cars and so the garage is like uh essentially like an acoustic guitar the body of an acoustic guitar and i had this really big thick metal cable that was really taut and uh, connected to the house, but then pulled tight to like some kind of cement hook that it was connected to. And I would take like baseball bat and bang on that and, and slide it like a slide guitar. And it would like make uh resonate through the garage. And I'd make these sounds like really bassy sounds, like, kind of like a bass, uh, one string bass guitar or something. And I would play that also uh, and just other weird stuff that I'd come up with. And it was none of it had any intention of being musical. It was just like, I mean, I, I guess it was sound. So yeah, it was musical. But I just thought this passes the time, you know. And you were just instead like of staring a at a tree all day long. You were just like a yeah. I was like kid. six and seven and eight. Oh, that's not, What's that? Uh, yeah, I was just that's yeah. It just makes me think that, like you said, growing up in a basically you know, fuck, fuck Egypt as we like to say is like <laughs> around here the same thing up until video games and phones you know because you had to entertain yourself so i look at like we're fathers, yeah we didn't have phones kids. until like, you know the 90s crazy. so that was a long time off for oh. me with phones and we didn't have vhs tapes yet at the end of the 70s my grandfather got a a, a, v, a vcr player and we were like wow it was like cavemen seeing fire you know we we had no <laughs> idea that was even fucking yeah, possible I'd imagine. and then at some point like you, you could have the satellite TV 
And then we got one of those and we were like, wow, this is, you know, we're in the future. So, so like, you know, I was just trying to pass time and, and entertain myself and it was a lot of fun to do. I mean, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of other weird things that I do with that stuff, but eventually like, you know, I also, my parents moved uh, away at some point and then I ended up in Louisville, Kentucky and in Louisville, Kentucky, there was a punk scene and this would be like the early eighties. And, uh, I was, uh, I got a skateboard for a Christmas gift and I would skateboard around with the other children. And, uh, at some point one child was like, Hey, we're going to go to this place called, um, Charlie's pizzeria and, uh, hang out and stuff. And so I said, okay. And so I went with these kids and some of them were older kids. They were all skateboarders. And, uh, there was like punk shows happen and this would be like 82, 83. So, uh, they'd have these little punk shows and I would watch that at this little pizza shop and, uh, you know, there'd be like 15 kids or something in there. And, um, they had pitchers of beer for like a couple bucks or something. And I, even as a 13 year old kid, I had a couple bucks. So I'd buy those and, you know, we would, uh, raise a bit of hell and, uh, I'd see these bands. Then they were like local bands. The, the band I can recall was called Maurice. And, um, eventually those guys broke up and split it off into two bands. One became a band called Slint and the other became a band called King Horse. Uh, both of them have albums and, and, and are great bands. So, so anybody listening that wants to check it out should, uh, and then from there, I just discovered other stuff like that. And then I even found out that people made crazy sounding records that didn't have guitars. And but that took a little bit of time to figure that out. Uh, similar to kind of similar to the stuff I made as a little kid. So it's kind of like a lack of resources forced your creativity when you were younger. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I, I'm a big. Uh, advocate of of having limitations bringing out more creativity i mean when yeah. you when you have everything at your disposal sometimes it becomes overwhelming when you have less things at your disposal then you're like you have to make something interesting out of nothing you know and then that that i i always find that to be the most beneficial um opportunity so to speak whenever i'm trying to make something the the thing that you said about putting the glue on the record was I fucked that kind of like almost just blew my mind because yeah, like I never, especially for a kid. being like six, seven, eight years old, that just the thought of already realizing like, okay, these work off of grooves. I could basically create a negative transfer of and see how it sounds. Which, well, I wasn't sure if it would be negative. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, versed enough to know that it might invert or any of that stuff. But what I did think was I could make a copy and maybe like it would sound weirder. Right. And that was, that was kind of what I was thinking, you know? And, and I, uh, I kind of want to try that, but I got to like break out also, a shitty like, turntable to do it. <laughs> you know, you have the different speeds on it too. So you could play it back at different speeds and i'd also entertain myself with that and when you had the 78 so you had like 16 33 45 and 78 so i would play with the speeds and uh do all kinds of different things with that That's so it was a lot of fun to do as a kid yeah it's a fun thing to do like on some of the records that i've made it throughout my life i put like this thing called a lock groove which means it just it's kind of like that loop tape i was talking about but in vinyl and you can switch the shift you know shift the speeds of your record player and play that at different speeds and it has different you know results and you know it's kind of hypnotic to some degree it depends on what your taste is i mean some people find it to be you know their grandma's uh, grandma mentality and they find it to be 
Noisy. You know, oh, that's a, a <laughs> bunch of noise. Turn that racket off. Yeah. You know, even people who are into heavy metal try to talk like that. Sometimes I find it to be very bizarre because you're into underground music because you don't want to be like your grandma. And in defense of grandma, when she was listening to Elvis or, or, or James Brown or whatever, and they were dancing around, that was punk. That was right. black metal. That was noise music for their time. And guess what their parents said? Turn that noise <laughs> off that racket. Oh, now you listen to, you know, a Chuck Berry record in the grocery store. And it's like considered to be wholesome music when back then it was like the devil's music. So it just depends on the era and, and the, you know, the climate of the times, I guess. But anyways, I think that, you know, music should be, should always be pushed forward and have advances. And, you know, what I, what we talked about with making the, um, putting the glue on the records and things like that, I would do, I would make collages, which means like I'd cut up, pictures from the newspaper or from my comic books or whatever, and then glue them together and make my own little pictures. And, you know, I got, because I was so bored, I would just, uh, I, I would learn like little art, arty arts and crafts things, you know, and, and put that together. So the transition from me making the record thing wasn't, I mean, I appreciate you, you complimenting me, but I mean, it wasn't such a far stretch from what I was already doing with, you know, putting things together and making you know, having silly putty or having uh, plaster or having other kinds of, you know, molding type stuff. I just thought, oh, if I can mold this, this physical item, I should be able to mold a record, uh, you know, and it ac accidentally worked out or whatever, or worked out as, you know. So if you were doing... a relative term in this context, I guess, but right. yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you were doing 78s, and you were in Indiana, so I'm guessing it would have been like country music or gospel stuff then, more than likely. Yeah, country. It was country western records, like uh, Tex Ritter. He had a, a song that was called like uh, "Blood on the Saddle," uh -huh. which was a uh, which was a pretty actually pretty cool song. It's about a cowboy who, you know, has a real low voice. And it's like "Blood on the Saddle." <laughs> Blood on the ground. There's a big old puddle of blood all around. It was kind of a voice like that. Right. And what he would do that was interesting is as he'd play his acoustic guitar, he would detune it as he'd strike as he'd strike the string. So it'd be like uh, you know, like kind of like a whammy almost, but it, it would be uh going out of tune so you sort of have this like oh he'd be turning like the keys as he's strumming is that what you're saying yeah so he so so for example he'd hit he'd hit the top string and as he hit it then he'd reach for the tuner and then he'd detune it so it'd go sort of have this sort of wobbly sound and uh and a, and a strange thing is tex ritter he ended up having a, a son who was a, a big star in the late 70s on TV for a TV show called Three's Company. His oh, name was John yeah, Ritter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're oh, familiar. Shit. So, yeah. John, now that I didn't know, I didn't that know Tex that. Ritter is John, was John Ritter's father, the guy that yeah. you were, that is nuts. Yeah, we, uh, rest in peace to Susan. I bet Summers, you on, on YouTube you away. can look up, uh, Sorry, I was talking over you. What did you say? I said, rest in peace to Suzanne Summers. She recently died, like, yesterday, I think. It was a few days ago. Right, yeah, so this is a timely conversation. But Suzanne Summers, she lived like she was 30 years old for her whole fucking life. <laughs> oh, I know. She was almost a vampire, so good for her, you know? Yeah, thigh mask. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was a thigh mask. I don't yeah, know, but she, she looked good. 
she looked good from the seventies until she was in her seventies. Yeah. So, you know, yep. she had a good life for herself. She, she, I think she did what she wanted with that, but you, you should look up at text Raider. I'm sure it's on uh, some kind of streaming platform. Yeah, we always have a, a list of things that we write down during interviews of, as like a to-check-out list type of thing just because it happens to be that way where you're like, oh, if you heard this or have you heard this, and it goes back and forth. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's not going to sound like any of the stuff that I make, but maybe a little no, bit. No, I know, I know. Find that. Influence, We're you into, know, who knows? Uh, <laughs> we're into like a bit of everything. Like we don't. We're not like just into metal or just into hardcore. Like we listen to blues, jazz, soul, old stuff, funk music, uh, singer-songwriter stuff. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, it's just like for for at least on my end, my my basis is in like you know in the hardcore. Like that's what I like grew up on, and then like ventured out because I used to be like closed-minded as a kid. You know, like fuck the Beatles and all that shit, and then. It grew up a little bit, you know. Well, I think that the other kids would do that to to each other as well, because I remember liking a lot of different music as a little kid or as a teenager. I mean, and uh, and and it was taboo to like different stuff. It was even taboo to like heavy metal if you were punk or, or vice versa. So yeah. uh, people would get in fights about it. Even you know, it's hard to imagine now, but that's how it was back then. People would get mad. Oh, you can't like this and. I remember when hip hop came out, I would go and buy the, I bought like the NWA 12 inch when it came out and people were giving us like dirty looks for wanting to buy that. And we thought that was, we thought it was kind of like a punk record, you know? I mean, things kind of blurred for us, at least me and my small group of friends. And, uh, you know, I thought it was kind of in the same vein as Slayer because it was doing something different and challenging and pissing people off. You know, that was maybe the most, key component of, of all these guys that glued them together in my, in my mind. But, you know, I like, I, I love uh, Delta blues music and, uh, and I love noise music. I like all kinds. I love gospel music still to this day. I mean, like uh, uh, pastor TL Barrett from Chicago. I love that. Uh, his catalog uh, almost as much as I love anything, as much as I love Gizem, which is a Japanese uh kind of metallic punk noise group i don't know how to they're pigeonhole a, them but. they're a relapse band aren't they yeah they ended up getting uh, their discography put out on relapse yeah, that's what a, I a couple of years we have a distribution yeah. at the store with relapse so i'm all they're like one of my oh, favorite cool. places to shop from for the store yeah i love relapse they put out my records too and uh I have a real good relationship with them and they do, they have real good taste in other bands and like putting out the Gizem. Also they have a band that's kind of similar to Gizem if you like that uh, by the name of Zao and their album, I think is called final agony. That's on uh, also on relapse. You should check that out if you like, like, yeah, and, and all these records sure. were, those records are all from the eighties. They're not uh, current things. They're, they're old recordings. Right. And both of those bands were, were uh, in, inspirational for me as a young man. So that's why I, I was kind of encouraging Relapse to pursue those ones, and oh, right on. I'm glad that it worked out. I so, like the re, I, I like the represses that um, uh, integ that you Integrity put out as like I noticed like the inside sleeves are all done with like pictures, and I've only seen that like a couple of times, and I've heard you talk about yeah, the, the cover, the secret print, and the cover has the secret yeah, ink on it. That cover shit was really cool. Thank you. I mean, I put a lot of work into that. Like when I was uh, in the 90s, when I would go on tour, I 
I would come back. I, well, let me start. Let me go back a little further. So when like when I put out my first CD, I started to realize that I didn't have any control over the artwork anymore because they were using computers to make the artwork. And prior to that, my my earlier uh, releases were cassettes or seven inches. And then I would hand make the artwork and turn that into the right. record label. But it got to a point where full color wasn't something I could necessarily turn in correctly or create. So I started to, and back then you didn't have the internet. So I'd have to like phone call uh, pressing plants uh, and find out how this was done. And they eventually told me that there was this software that was called Photoshop. <laughs> and so I had no idea what the hell that was. And my father had accidentally or, or coincidentally uh, started working, uh, helping do IT work for General Electric. And he would have all these old computers that they would throw away. After a year, they thought that they were like, you know, okay. something they just throw away or right. whatever, you know. Yeah. And so he would take them and put them in a garage and then sell them to people, you know, cheaper. And uh, I asked him about it and he said that he'd check into it and find out what he could. He found a supplier that had Photoshop number two or whatever. It was like a real early version. And so he got me a copy of that and he got me a couple old junk computers that uh, that were laying around from the office. And he, he sent them to me and uh, with a big, big book on Photoshop. And there wasn't anybody that I knew who, who knew how to use this software. So I had to teach myself uh, through trial and error. And eventually I got it up and going. And the other computer he had set up to do music, but uh, it, all it had was like a wave editor. So it was very primitive. You could do a little bit of uh, editing and you could like take two tracks and then squish them together and then put another track and then squish that and make th the third track and on and on and on. And, you know, it was pretty primitive, but I got some things accomplished using that as well. But to get back on track, uh, I taught myself Photoshop at a time where nobody, you couldn't even go to school to learn Photoshop. So I had the skill set. So when I get back from tours and have no job and no money, because touring you know, was not lucrative at that time at all. And um, so I'd come back and uh, I would go apply at a newspaper or a magazine, uh, local magazine, local newspaper. And I'd always get the job because I was one of the only people who knew how to do this type of thing at that period. And one point after a tour, I came back and I got a job uh, doing the night shift, running the art department for uh, a newspaper called the News Herald. And uh, it was a daily paper. And I would get all these samples and different things sent to my office that would say like, hey, check out this printing technique, check out that printing technique. And one day I got this uh, package and it was uh, it was the... Um, the type of printing that you see, the uh, spot UV, that's what it's called, that clear ink that we yeah, talked about yeah. from the repressing of integrity, where you see this, if you hold it in the light, you see the skull logo of integrity. But if you hold it in a different angle, it's almost like it's not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also kind of like a, a braille because it's raised, so you can sort of feel it too. Like if you were blind, you could feel it too. So there's like that quality as well. And so I, I saw that and I was like, wow, I really want to do that for one of my records. But it was so crazy expensive at the time and, and impossible. But uh, oh. eventually I like, I sweet talked to some people into, <laughs> into, into doing that for my records. And then it, uh, it, it sort of became a thing that I, I do all the time.
So that was uh, the coincidence that brought about that kind of special printing. And on the sample, what it had was it had a picture of a forest, a black and white picture of a forest. And they would show like how the inks would work differently. Like you can have a matte version, you can have a glossy version, you can have a raised version, et cetera. And then the samples that they sent uh, had this process on them so I could physically look at them and, and, you know, there wasn't, uh, it wasn't just an internet thing. So I physically could touch them and see, Oh, this ink is raised. This is, and if I hold it at an angle, I, you don't see it. And, you know, that really fascinated me. And with the trees, some of them, it'd be the same picture several times with different processes of this spot UV or other versions of, of this process. And so like sometimes they would coat the, just the trees, then the trees would kind of look 3D almost, you know? And then sometimes they spot in between the trees rather than the trees themselves. So then it'd have a different kind of way that you your mind would interact with the picture and so on. So, you know, I, I found it to be an interesting thing and, and I just sort of like uh, put it on the back burner of my mind to say like one day I want to use that process for my records yeah. if I can... Uh, if I can bamboozle somebody into paying for it. <laughs> well, yeah. And it, it's but I think, awesome you know, I think it's buy. a worthwhile investment. Definitely. You know like, I mean, to the consumer, to the music fan, you get like so much more that way. And at yeah, first, I hope I so. Like, I mean, I want are, people to be. the song titles? I didn't. And then I tilted it and was like, oh, they're on the back. Because I saw the um, skull on the front first, you know. And then yeah. I'm like, where are the fucking song titles? What? And then I, and I felt and they were in there. I was like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, was that weird. was another pet a pet peeve of mine was I hated to put names and words all over the artwork. I didn't want that, and this was my way of getting around that too. And I really liked the fact that you know these a lot of these records come in those plastic poly bags. Yeah, and once the sure. record jackets are in that poly bag, you cannot see for for the most part you cannot see that the skull or the track titles are on there at all until you remove it from the bag, and then you're like, whoa. It's kind of like a surprise thing, you know, like uh, you have a decoder ring and you now you see the secret, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a Christmas story. The fucking, uh, what the hell? <laughs> I can't, Morse code or whatever it was, the, the decoder. Yeah, like when I was a kid in the cereal boxes, they'd have these like things where you could put on like 3D glasses yeah. and then you could read something on a, on a comic book that might come with it that you wouldn't normally see this kind of thing. And so like that probably... Uh, weaved its way into my imagination also, or I don't know. But it, it's just fun to do that stuff. The same as like doing weird things with the records, cutting the records weirdly. I did a record at sometime in the mid 90s where it would play uh, most of the songs on side A and most of the songs on side B the normal way. And then it would have a lock groove of silence, you know, like how normal records do uh -huh. to stop the needle from going onto the stickered label that has the artwork that says the name of the band and usually has some image or something on that so they created this lock groove and uh i'd have it go to silence in this case not into sound and then people who were a little bit aware would notice well that's weird it's it's locked in there but it looks like there's another song after it on both sides why is that then they pick up their needle and try to drop it there the needle would push out and then they'd be like, what the fuck, you know? What is that crazy shit? And this is, again, before the internet, really. So it'd take a real um, desperate or, or uh, not desperate, like a... Uh, determined individual to figure it out. You, you got me. A real determined uh, motherfucker to figure it out. And what yeah. you do is you take the needle and you put it next to where the sticker was because I made it so that it was cut the opposite direction. Oh, that's true. Oh, so, uh, okay. 
Fucking sneaky. So then you hear these bonus songs that you never would have heard before unless you figured out the trick. And I found that that would be like a rewarding, you know, magic trick for the for the audience who got that record. And they maybe they had it for like a year. And then their friend was like, hey, man, did you know there's a fucking bonus song on each side? There? <laughs> right. Oh, there can't be. You know, then they drop the needle and, uh, and find it. I kind of always so wonder why, like, everybody doesn't put a little something in that fucking spot and he, like in the well, locker remember room now. that jack white did a record where he had yeah there's like, like multiple million. different things so if you start a song at one point it has an acoustic intro if you start it at the next point it's an electric intro there was a song underneath yeah those are label. called parallel tracks but yeah there you go i knew that yeah, was i've done that before it. as well parallel parallel tracks so there, there are tracks that are running side by side and if you drop the needle uh, on the first one, you get one song. If you drop it on the second one, you get a different yeah. song. Yeah, that's uh, so gnarly. That's a fun like, thing to do, too. I did those before. There was a side that played from the inside out, and then there were hidden tracks underneath Yeah, that would be like how I had that shit. secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought of right when you yeah, said that. Yeah, playing from the, the inside out is... So, so and I didn't you, invent this shit. This is just stuff that... No, no, but it, like, it, it shows I your creative mind. White. Yeah, well, maybe... <laughs> it it definitely shows that you have a creative side, but um, so or I'm making still, trouble and torturing yeah, people. Or that. That. <laughs> <laughs> are you still using Photoshop to like to this day? Oh yeah. Okay, so I do have a question. Um, what do you? I don't a know Photoshop if you've played. Question? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've played around with <laughs> it at all yet. But do you? What are your thoughts on the generative AI that just got put into Photoshop? I have the I have the new beta version of, of Photoshop and I use it, but it doesn't do it doesn't turn out as nice as I would like it to turn out. It's a bit a bit hokey most for the most part. Yeah. And I haven't been able to get it to do what I would like it to do. Uh, I like the fact that it seems to sort of uh, emulate its surroundings. So if you have something that's a drawing and it sees that, then it will sort of try to make that. But I I find that oftentimes that. It hasn't. I had an update two days ago, and um, and then I used it after that. Hope, excuse me, hoping that it was going to turn out to be really, really uh, more detailed, but it didn't do that. But you know, I think that there's potential there. I mean, if the question is, do I find this to be like the end of art and everything, like everybody's uh, crying about on the internet, then I do not find it that no, to be no, the end of art. I wasn't really asking that. I was just kind of wondering if you'd played around with it at all, and like, because I yeah, I played I'm, around with it a lot, but I I haven't been able to get it to do what I want. But I think that right. if I was more of a an Instagram Photoshop person who wants to put like. Uh, you know, change a scenery into winter that was a summer set setting, yeah. or if I wanted to put add a balloon to a child who's standing at the park or something, you know, in his hand, uh, have a balloon or an ice cream cone or something. That's definitely, you know, if you want to, gonna look great. If you want, but if you're Bob making Ross, fucking your devils from hell, yeah. you're making devils from hell. It doesn't come out right. But uh, the early iteration of Mid Journey, I think, was a con was a conduit to hell itself. Because if you would type in normal shit, it would create these fucking crazy hairy demons and stuff. Like, it, it was just like making no sense. You know, there'd be like a human parts mixed in for some reason. No matter what your prompt was, it would come up with crazy evil shit. And I was really enamored by that. And um, 
then they started getting better at it or, or better is relative, but they started to fine tune their, their software. And then also they, they made it so that you couldn't have uh, scary images anymore yeah. and things like that. But, still, but still, like, I think that the AI started to learn like what I like and my appetite for the, for the aesthetic. And so it would still kind of do it anyways, but it wouldn't be, um, you know, having, you know, body parts anymore. Somehow that became like bad. It's probably and, uh, on a so, you know, the or something. Yeah, there's a lot of words. Like I, I've had prompts where like even like just stupid stuff was like, well, you're you're crossing the line here, buddy, you know. Yeah. And it was, you, you know, like if you wanted to have blood, for example, that's too much, you know. Uh, Which so, I guess, so I guess you, limits you, you, but at the same time, like you probably already know how to do that on your own on Photoshop regardless without the AI. So it doesn't really make a big difference. Sure, but with the AI, all you do is put red paint. Right. So, oh, okay. Blood so you blood trick it. Off, you know? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. You have to go around because, like we said earlier, when 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 the world gives you obstacles and limits your your possibilities, you find a workaround. Right. That's you know that creativity. So you know, think of something different to do. But there were some cool things like you could type in like different ways that um, that film would react. Uh, you know, like uh, expired film expired Polaroid uh, film that you'd have some really cool results with stuff like that. So I found it to be interesting and I'd really love to get into like how, how the music uh, aspect works. Cause I've heard, you know, I've heard songs where they'll have uh, Taylor Swift singing a Johnny Cash song or, yeah. uh, you know, Kanye West singing a, a song of something that he wouldn't normally sing so on and so on. And it sounds pretty realistic, but obviously you have to have, um, like a something that's you know, well, no, they don't use them, so they're just like they they've just resourced these because these people are you know their their vocals are everywhere. Yeah, it's easy for the computer to access that. Whereas you know if you're going to do something on of my my work, it's not going to find that shit. You know, but um, I would like to be able to you know feed in all of my stuff and see what the computer thinks my album should sound like and have it spit that out and be like. Eh, some of this sucks, but this part's fucking great, you know. Right. And then redo it myself. Yeah, just like that just kind see. of thing. Where I think that could be a cool tool to use. I mean, I know a lot of people are mad about this stuff, but I think you know, people were mad when they invented the camera. Oh, paintings are over. You're ruining yeah. fucking <laughs> paintings. It's gonna get trapped in that fucking picture. Yeah, I mean that's that's an actual realistic thing that occurred. People oh, I know. That, and photography and you know and then when television came out that's going to ruin the movies and you know and when movies came out that's going to ruin the radio and you know everything's everything's going to ruin everything and then you know we find a way to to make it uh, interesting again it's all based on how you use it basically like a hammer could be yeah. a useful tool or a destructive tool yeah so going i probably in... like it more destructive but uh you know right it's, well, it's fun it's fun to misuse tools as well you know so you know there's all kinds of possibilities with everything and you know and that's kind of like where, where i like to exist in that in that world of possibility yeah and that definitely shows in your music like uh, not even just in integrity um being a, an incredibly unique band in the genre but more towards like the vermapire stuff is definitely like your showing that you're not putting limitations on yourself in your music and just kind of doing what's inspiring you and what's coming out at that time. Yeah, thanks. So the Vermapire project, 
How did, when did you start that? Before we started here, I think you said it was like quite a while ago. Yeah, I, I had done Psy Warfare since I was, I guess, little. And then I started making records of that somewhere in the early 90s. And then I did that for a while. And then I was like, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do something else. And then uh, I started doing the Vermapeer thing, maybe, I don't know, like somewhere in 2008, maybe, or 2006. I don't know. I can't remember. And then I just started figuring out how to use these, uh, build those guitars. I mean, the whole idea was I'd have to build the stuff. That was kind of like the obstacle. I create an obstacle for myself. So, okay, I I have to build shit and make it work. And if it sounds wrong, then that's the way to go to make the wrong sounds right or make it the right sounds wrong. It depends, you know? So uh, that's kind of what I, how I approached it. And then I did it for a while and it was fun. And uh, at some point I was like, ah, I did it. I did enough. You know, if you go to the uh, integrity band camp page, somewhere towards the bottom, it, there's like the discography of uh, Verma Pier all as like, I think one track or two tracks, whatever it is. So that's like every fucking record that I did or tape or whatever. And it, it ends up being a, maybe an hour or two hours or something worth of stuff. So uh, I, I did a, a long run of that. One thing I did that was pretty cool, I well, I think was pretty cool, was I made a song that was called Stilta, which means uh, silence in uh, Flemish language. And what I did with that was I just, I, it was for a lathe cut record. So this track was silent. But the more that you would play that track, the more that the groove would, uh, the needle would cut into the groove, which would make it sound uh, more and more like kind of a, a you know, a high-end uh a high frequency drone kind of a scratching sound and the more that you played it the more that the track would exist and uh so that was kind of an interesting uh experiment to do as well and that uh, is fucking i don't know man, nobody thinks of that shit that's know, a, just... such a good idea i i, I like well, i'm like... glad nobody else thinks of it or i'd be out of work you know? <laughs> right, right but I, it's just like <laughs> The common person for a record wouldn't think about that. Like you, you get more the more the record degrades after your needles wearing through the grooves. And usually, like people are like, oh, eventually I gotta get rid of this thing because it, you know, it sounds like shit. Like I played it out, it's done for. I gotta get rid of Love Gun. I've exacerbated <laughs> it. But like you're putting into it, like, oh well, what if I could flip that completely around and make it where you get more as you're getting less it's like what gets bigger as you take away yeah i mean like we, we talked earlier about the legions noir the black legions and well, the way that that worked was those guys were pissed that black metal was being so commercial so national inquirer if, if you're old enough to know what that means yeah you know just sort of this kind of like uh trashy you know uh news thing where oh this guy hates that guy and his guy's killing that guy and this you know it's kind of like a soap opera thing in their in their minds and they didn't like that so they they wanted to go the opposite direction and they made these tapes of their recordings and what they do is which i found to be very inspiring and interesting is that they had the like the tascam um four track tape uh, machines that ran off batteries so they could just take those wherever they wanted you know and they would go into like the woods and, you know, and especially in France, there's a lot of old abandoned castles and, um, and they're like, you know, dangerous and real shitty and everything. And, uh, 
they would go in there and spend the week weekend in there and get high or get drunk or get whatever, get crazy. And um, they would bring a guitar and, uh, you know, they'd have a pedal and then uh, they'd have some kind of a microphone and they would just record that stuff in there. And um, for drums, they would just like find a piece of metal and take their fingertips and I don't know if that worked. Can you hear that stuff? Because sometimes <laughs> Zoom will uh, edit out audio. Right. But you just sort of do finger tapping on like a board or whatever, yeah. and that would be their drum. And uh, they would make these tapes. It's, it's going to make sense in a minute. Sorry, I know I'm long-winded with this shit. No, but um, it, they, they would make, make these tapes. They'd make these tapes, and they'd make like a dozen tapes, maybe 13 tapes be, you know, bad luck or whatever. I don't know. But they'd give them to just their friends. And one of their friends became... Uh, bit of an opportunist and he thought oh i can make a few bucks off this fucking shit so he started dubbing the tapes and selling to people uh through the back uh, classified ads of heavy metal magazines and stuff and then he would just to be super greedy he'd get the worst shittiest tapes he could find you know he'd tape over uh tapes that he'd get at like a flea market or something you know it'd be like michael jackson thriller he just put put a scotch tape over the holes and then dub on there and then keep dubbing and dubbing and dubbing and dubbing and dubbing until it sounded like total shit. And that's what I loved. It was the really degraded tape version of this stuff. It was like already a horrible, horrible sounding. And I mean that in the best possible way, right. horrible in a great way. But the fact that the tape became warped and warbled and copied and copied and copied and copied and then there's a copy of 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 a copy until it just sounded so much like you're really in hell yeah i love that so much and i think that that's something that often is missed with music is that people don't understand that production and a producer you know usually what they're doing is is oftentimes trying to make it more commercial but you know there's a sense where in my mind at least, where, you know, movies and, and music aren't that far away from one another. As, as we talked about me making these recordings of, of movies uh, onto audio tapes as a kid. And I, maybe that's where I get this, this connection from. I don't know. But I think that, you know, if you're going to watch a Julia Roberts movie where she's falling in love with the prince and she's going to get married and, you know, the colors are going to be bright. It's going to be really nice and crisp. And, you know, everything's going to be in focus and beautiful. And then you're going to watch a movie about some kind of vampire. And you wanted that. You don't want that to be beautiful. You don't want that to be bright. You don't want that to be all in focus. You want it to be gritty and, and the film to be kind of a bad quality. And, and you want scratches in the film and you want it to sort of misframe so it glitches a little bit or it has a quick jump, you know. You want the audio to be rougher. You don't want it to be, you know beautiful happy orchestras all in major you know you want it to be rough and 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 crappy you know definitely and with music they're like oh everything has to sound the same it has to britney spears michael jackson and all the metal and punk bands should all, all fucking sound the same or it's not good and I, I always disagreed with that i think that the production of a record should be be like an like a member of the band or a uh, instrument of the band in a way where it complements the way that the music sounds because when everything sounds the fucking same, then that's just fucking boring, you know? And if you have something that's supposed to sound raw and haunting, like it's fucking some kind of thing in the darkness of your attic that you go home alone and you're like, what the fuck is that? 
and then you go in there to see what it is. That's the kind of, I think the production should be for some of this stuff. Whereas if you have, you know, something that's Taylor Swift or Britney Spears or, or one of these kinds of things, it should have the production that they have, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I just think that it's, it's a shame that people don't explore production more with the underground music uh, as they should, because you can get a lot more, I think, possibilities and a lot more uh, effect with a, a effect uh, from, from your audience. If you're, if you're thinking of it from that world, you know, if you're, and also I think there's a, a quantum physics component to it where you're putting intention into the music, you know, if you're putting happy thoughts and, I want to date the Prince kind of uh, thoughts into your pop song, then, you know, your audience is going to be like, I'm also going to marry a handsome dashing <laughs> Prince and live happily ever after. But if you're like, uh, have some kind of like evil spell put into your fucking song, then the people listening to that are going to be like, Oh, this sounds fucking horribly great. I fucking feel sick in my stomach in a good way. You know, that kind yeah. of thing. So, I think that there's elements of that, you know. That's like the appeal, the appeal to watching horror movies. Like you don't, like you said, you don't want them to be beautiful. You want it to, you know, it puts you at the edge of your seat type of thing and to where you're like, what's coming yeah. next? I don't know what's happening next. Yeah, and if you have a, an exciting action movie, but it's all shot really slow and there's no extra camera shots and it's just all one shot, you'd be like, this is fucking boring. You know, it's exciting yeah. when all those cuts are happening and you see Arnold Schwarzenegger or Stallone or whoever it is, every time their fucking body is moving, there's a different camera on them as they're punching the, the bad guy and throwing him off a building or whatever, you know, like there's <laughs> these things that make, that make it interesting. And I think that that should be integrated into music too. And of course there are people who do that, you know, I'm not saying that, that that's a uh, not done, but I think I'd like to see more people do that. Yeah. So all of the, instruments that you use for the project you make yourself then for ver verm appear yeah. yeah 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 that's what i was referring but to. not for everything i mean for integrity we have like real guitars well yeah i know stuff, that you know? but i was saying just on the base of verm appear like you made yeah those guitars that you sent jeremy i seen the pictures as well um, what what are some of the other things that you make for the project I had, I didn't make this, but I had a friend of mine make it, um, who was a welder cause I don't know how to weld. And if I tried, I'd probably burn my arm yeah. off. Uh, so he made this for me and I'm going to try to explain it to you since this is an audio interview. So he made something that looks like I have it right in front of me so I can show it to you. I'm just going to try to describe it to you. Uh, he made something that looks like a, a foot pedal for a kick drum, but instead of it being a, instead of it being a kick drum, what happens is, I'm moving it over here so I can give you an audio example. What happens is there's a hammer head where the kick drum should be that's mounted onto a metal plate and the metal plate keeps it on the floor so that it can be moved around. And then at the top, there is a railroad spike that's welded to a, uh, to a metal post. So when you step down on what would be like the, the floor pedal, it lifts a piece uh, that has the hammer head welded to it. And at the same time, there's a link of chain also attached to the hammer head. So each time it comes up and, and hits the, the railroad spike, it makes this sound.
but what it, what happens is I'll kind of explain it to you is that those chains that are connected that links the chain that's connected to that hammerhead that comes up and smacks into that railroad spike each time it does that that chain moves in a different way so you have a different sound so it's not like you know sometimes you'll listen to industrial music and they'll use a sample of a guy hitting a metal spike for it'll example. be over and over and over with like the same Hit. always the same yeah. yeah so with this it's random enough that you're like that's real you know and so you know that's kind of part of it but my friend made this for me i said hey i, I want something like that can you make that and he he did somehow he made my uh <laughs> he made my dream a reality he 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 uh he manifested that into into this world somehow that's great that's Dude, what that's i do that's what yeah. i do on the side i'm a welder on the side well, no, actually, that's what I do okay. for a living. But <laughs> I'd rather. Well, do I'll it send on you the a side. picture. Maybe you can. I'll send you a photo, and I'll send you an audio, or I can send you a little video clip as well, and you can see how it works, and maybe you can make one for yourself as well. Yeah, dude, that'd be dope. If you listen to some of that vermin period, if you heard like the sound of a chain and a metal spike kind of thing as a I percussion, yeah. that, that's what this is. Okay, because like, the fucking zoom is a bastard. That so. was like. And I was like, what is that fucking chain sound? So that's yeah. gotta be it. Yeah, so that's what it is, is that, that thing. And So how do you make the guitars? Well, without, like, giving away any secrets, if you're not trying to give away secrets. Oh, no, like... no, I, I, I'm happy. You know, when I was making those guitars, what I would do is, I didn't know what I was doing, so I, I just sort of figured it out on my own, trial and error, and each one got better and better. And again, that's relative as well. You know, some people would find it not, and none of them to be better but uh for me it's it was better because it was more shitty and uh (laughs) eventually i sort of made like a bit of a blueprint with instructions and then when i would sell those tapes or or those uh seven inches i made and there was even a 12 inch that was made uh some of those i'd include the xerox flyer uh photocopied flyer so people could make their own And, and there was a period where some other people were making them and and having some pretty cool ideas out of it. And I thought this could be a cool way to sort of, you know, advance uh, or or maybe devolve music. It depends on how you look at it. Yeah, that's cool. But I think people got bored of it maybe or something. I'm not sure. So what I did was, and this is like, this goes back to Delta Blues. So like in the Delta Blues scene, the, the most of the people who were making that kind of music were, were young kids who were, the uh, children of, of like sharecroppers and uh, they wanted to, to have some fun. So what they would do is they would take their the cigar box that their, their father would have his cigars in and they would open that up and take the cigars out or maybe he had an empty box. Then they'd take a broom and if you, the old witch's broom, you know, like the, the stereotypical broom stick and, and everything, if you have one of those old ones, you'll notice that there's a metal wire that goes around to keep all that straw with the broom itself, the sweeping part, is connected to that um, that big stick, you know? Kind of like it looks like so a little spring wrapped that. around on the bottom there. It's like a collar. collar? Yeah, but you okay. got to think of like the old, ver- the old versions, not the Walmart versions and stuff. You got to think yeah, like yeah. back in like, you know, in, in the olden days. So there'd be this wire wrapped around. It's just like a metal wire to keep all those straws in place so they'd unwind those straws and take that metal wire off they take all that straw and throw it out and they take that stick they'd slam it through the body of that uh, cigar box now you have a guitar body and now you have a neck 
or playing on, right? Then what you do is you take a a rock or whatever you want and put it at the bottom of, of the body of that guitar body, you know, that cigar box guitar body. And then you put a hole through it with a nail. You put a, you, you, you put a nail at the bottom of the, um, of the broomstick handle where the body of that guitar body, which is also a cigar box is. Then uh, you fix the cigar box to the broomstick and then you put another little rock at the other end or a nail at the other end and then you take that wire and you pull it across each other and then you have a guitar that's fucking yeah it goes back again to what we said earlier like less is more and you uh deprive yeah. yourself so the shit. way that it works so if, if you're wondering like okay how does that fucking work so what happens is you have this tight wire across it and you flick it with one hand and with the other hand you take like a, a beer bottle and you rub it across uh, as you'd see like a bottleneck slide guitar player putting a guitar, uh, putting a bottleneck on a cutoff bottleneck on his, uh, his pinky, but you could just hold up a, a, a spoon or a, a butter knife or a bottle of beer or whatever and, and, or a bottle of wine and just like roll it back and forth while the other hand is plucking at it, you know, and that's going to make a sound. Now, if you put that cigar box body on there, just like my grandma's, uh, garage now it's going to resonate that sound and it's going to amplify that sound and so that's the idea now we, what i would add against that would be an electric guitar pickup and i'd move it the wrong way because i'd usually have one or two maybe three strings so instead of having it go um horizontal i would sh i would position my pickups to go vertical so all uh, four of the magnets would be picking up all the sound instead of distributing it and it could give a little more of a rough distorted sound to it and that's what i would do and then after i'd finish but i wouldn't really use cigar boxes what i'd use is like uh wooden boxes that i i would make and then i would beat the shit out of them and, and stain them black so that they look like they were 200 years old or more and that's what i would use but i also wouldn't use a nail i would use like an actual pickup uh, i mean an actual uh guitar tuner and, and and you know drill a hole in there you look at truss that. rod uh no i'd use like um what you know just the tuners that you can buy from ebay like for like cheap guitars you know uh -huh. and then for the for the for the uh for the nut at the bottom i would take an old um threaded uh dowel rod and then cut it out into little chunks and i'd use that instead of like a rock or something i'd use that to lift it up but i have one guitar where i, I use like a chicken uh chicken wing bone to do that i try to make this vibe of uh you know, kind of more of a country vibe or something, but, um, but you know, basically you just need to lift the string up off of the, off of the neck so that it, it can vibrate onto it. You know, that's the, the, the trick, I guess, you know, but then I wouldn't have any, um, I wouldn't have any frets on it. Sometimes I drill little holes to show me where the frets could or should be, but mostly, or just for reference point, but mostly I, I wanted it to be smooth so I could slide. So I would play those. So basically that was like, slide guitar lo-fi black metal sort of so it's in between blues and black metal is what vermipure was yeah there's a a band that's kind of like that that i have no idea how to pronounce the name it's like fortress or something like that they're a some norwegian type of band but they play like mandolins and shit in their black metal and kind of mix like folk music with black metal uh -huh. lo-fi black metal I i'd have to find the actual group i'll send it to you on instagram 
just because cool. I know I butchered the name. It's probably not even, it's like silent F. It's not even pronounced that way or something, but it's, uh, I like yeah, when I mean, you blend you can't pronounce, like if, if, if you can't pronounce the name, then the, probably the band is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happens a lot. Well, the cover is like <laughs> a, it looks like a, I don't know, like a night from like the early 1900s. And it's just like a dude with an old, like, I think it's a mandolin, if I remember right, or something kind of like a mandolin. It just looks like a really old, timely, almost country picture, but then you listen to it, and it's like lo-fi black metal. It's uh, I only checked it out because I thought the cover was interesting, and then I was like, oh, this band's actually really cool. Oh, cool. What's the future looking like for you uh, as far as music output? Well, uh, tomorrow, Psy Warfare is playing in Belgium, opening up for my friend's band Spider, nice. which is... Uh, Francis from uh, the band Devil Master. It's uh, one of his other bands that he's in. And it's Spider, S-P-I-P-E-R. I know Devil Master is the shit. They're so awesome. Yeah, he's he's the bass player of Integrity. I think I knew that, actually. Because we, we interviewed Dom a while back, and I remember when we, I was looking into some uh, some of the details there, I think I seen something about the bass player being that guy. Yeah, but he didn't play. He didn't play when I played in Detroit because he was in Hawaii with Devil Master. They're playing there. Uh, okay. So That's sometimes he when it's double booked, he doesn't do it. So that was like a tropical vampire uh, show that he had in Hawaii. <laughs> you know? Hawaii, Detroit. Hawaii, Detroit. Yeah, I yeah. picked Detroit. <laughs> That's just me. So yeah, I mean, you know, he, he he's doing his own thing, and he he's one of my best friends, and he I've known him since he was a little kid. So. uh he plays. Uh, he plays with me when he when he's available. Yeah, and we get along real good. Yeah, I remember Devil Master when I found him. I just like I think I I told Jeremy it's like black metal vocals is like almost punk rock music, like the tempo kinda, and like there's a little bit of thrash in there. It's yeah. all, it blends a lot of stuff together. Yeah, and also like old old school goth, like Christian Death is in there too, and it's yeah. a bunch of weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah, what's their latest album? Is like Satan Spits at Children or something like no, that? No, that was the earlier one. Earlier one? I don't know. They had funny, it was a funny song title. I can't think of the title. name of the new one. It's like Ecstasies of Never Ending Night or something along those lines. The earlier one was Satan Spits on Children of Light. Oh, there you um, go. So uh, going back to like Psy uh, Warfare and Vermapir, when you're making instruments or you're just creating noise, and this, I don't know if this is like an ignorant question, but how do you decipher like what noise is good noise that you want to use on the project? Yeah, I guess like, you know, kind of when we were talking about movies, there's a mood to it more than there's a, uh, than there's a, a scientific thing to it. You know, I don't really know what I'm doing with music. I just sort of am just experimenting and finding things that are, that sound appealing to my ear. I think, Oh, this sound gives me this picture. Right. And that's how I approach music. So other people would be like, oh, this is in, you know, this is a minor and, you know, that, but I look at it like, oh, this conjures up this visual to me. And then that's correct. If it conjures up something that is inappropriate for what I'm trying to create, then I don't use that. And I try to screw around with the instrument until I make it sound the way that I want it to sound. Uh, that's a lot easier to do in Vermapir uh, for the most part because. It's already, you know, it's, I can tune the guitar a certain way and it's going to sound a certain way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the project like sort of has a, a early horror movie silent film type of aesthetic to it. 
but Cy yeah, Warfare and so is kind of all over the place. Yeah, Cy Warfare could change it in a moment because Cy Warfare basically means fucking with people, fucking with your head, you know, psychological warfare. Mm. So I made records that were like even happy kind of sounding records to fucking drive people crazy, you know? Like people were like, oh, it's going to be like this. And then I'd deliberately make a record that didn't sound like that. And they'd be like, what the fuck? And be mad. <laughs> and that would make me happy. Amen. <laughs> so how long have you been able to, I mean, I guess I, I guess I don't know this. Are you like a full-time artist? I mean, do you, is that? Uh, does, I suppose so, yeah. And how long have, have you been, how long I mean, have you I mean, it's a grandiose been... word. It, it's a grandiose word to say, but it, it yeah, I suppose that that's that's the correct way to say it. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't come up to the passport control person and then they say, "What do you do for a living?" Yeah, and I say, artist. "I'm an artist." But I, I would imagine I'd have to have a cape and a monocle and like a beret on and stuff, you know, and and be having a, a, a glass of champagne in my hand. Uh, but I guess yeah, that's what I am. Well, yes, yeah, of course, man. I mean, and a good one at that. But I just well, want. Thanks. I'm just. Uh, like I said, uh, I weld for a living. Now, the dream wouldn't be not to have to do that, and I could just say, you know, uh -huh. have a bunch of different other things going on, live off of, you know, selling records or doing this or whatever. So how long have you been able to Live off your, have your creativity, yeah. basically, is yeah. what you're getting at. Oh, uh, okay, so like how freely. long has it been since I had to have a day job in between tours? Pretty much. I would say maybe 10 years, maybe. Just to put that into perspective... Cause you know, yeah, it took it took ten years. I mean, it's only been about ten years, so it took me till I was about forty-two years old before I didn't have to have a day job. That's not bad. And that doesn't mean I'm driving a Lamborghini either. Trust me, but you know, <laughs> I I I work uh, nonstop on music stuff, and a big part of that is that relapse helps me out and, and gets uh, my music more exposure. And I think maybe also longevity might play a role in it too that i've been doing it so long that some people are like all right fucking we've been opposed to him since his fucking start he's done it long enough we'll give him a, a chance you know or something i don't know you know sometimes people are like hey i always thought your stuff sucked and then i i gave it a listen and i thought it wasn't that bad so you know <laughs> like, that, fuck you, know? you dude <laughs> damn you know? but no man i mean i like the like i said i like that that relapse it represses all the old stuff and um even the later uh what the how howling it's like 2017 that album with dom on it that was fucking awesome too. yeah i really enjoyed Thank that you. one seemed a little uh black metal leaning you know like in the style well, there's it. a lot of different songs on it i mean there's even a a gospel song where we have a uh i, I do a duet with a with a gospel singer uh there's a lot of different songs on that record and uh you know, we just make songs that we'd like to hear. And, you know, sometimes people get mad if you say that, but I think that that's the way you're supposed to make music, yeah. is that make music that you, you'd like to listen to. But I've gotten a lot of uh, backlash for that over the years, where people say, oh, you like the music you make? You listen to, to the music you make? Yeah. yeah that's I why I make it. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. If I don't like it, I'm not going to let anybody else fucking hear it, that's for sure. <laughs> well, if yeah, you're that's how I see it. For but yourself, you know, for many years, you do it for? for many years, people said, "Oh, you're an arrogant prick to say that." You know, you're how dare you say? How dare you listen to your music? I said, "Man, you know, should I make music that I don't like? And why? How good would that be if I made music that I don't like? 
that doesn't there's no passion in that you know yeah, there's nothing in that that's a hollow shell fuck yeah might as well fucking go nine to five yeah, yeah. Much... so i mean i don't know it's a weird thing I don't know. Music's all subjective, though, so it's hard to... There's always going to be somebody who has um, a distaste for this thing or that thing, and, you know, it is uh, it is what it is. But that's why there's so many different forms of music out there. Like, if you don't like it, don't listen to it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't go into this thinking, hey, everybody's going to eventually start liking it. I, I, I just imagine people would always hate it all, you know? And over <laughs> the years, some people were like... Hey, this sounds pretty good, but it usually takes several years after I make a record before people started to like yeah, be like, like, "Oh, this is kind of good." It's got to stew with people for a while and like meld over a little bit. If you're doing weird stuff too, I mean, weird stuff. People don't want to hear nothing. Most times, people don't want to hear weird stuff. They want to hear something that they're already used to hearing over and over again. And yeah. you know, so sometimes I'll make a record, then the next record sounds different. They're like, "Oh, it sounds different. I don't. I'm not happy." Hey, this isn't fucking McDonald's, man. You know, I don't <laughs> yeah. care. Right, right. You know, you can, no, I think I appreciate it's not, that. You know, karaoke where you're calling out the requests. You know. I mean, uh, let's, your first record came out in uh, 1988, right? For those who fear tomorrow. Yeah. Was, okay. Just no, no, that that came out later. That was an album. I, I made a demo in '88, and then I had a seven-inch. I don't know, '89 or something. Oh, okay, okay. And then. And then uh, a cassette single in uh, 90, and I, maybe Those for Tomorrow came out in 90 or 90, 91. I can't remember. Okay. Well, either way. That was to, my first pulling. To put that in perspective for us, when you put out that first tape, I was three years old. When that album came, when the first album came out, it would have been like five or six. So, yeah, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't even hear integrity until i was probably 14 or 15 years old and so uh -huh. i appreciate it it's cool to go back and um catch up on all those records that you miss or like the the stuff that um you may have not known about you know what i mean and i think that's cool and that Thanks for listening your, to and them, it helps your it. helps your um longevity you know what i mean like you were just saying um i don't i don't think people say oh well you've been here a while and your music sucks, but hey, I don't know what the fuck that's we'll, about. We'll throw but, you a bone. Yeah, we'll throw you a bone. But like, <laughs> you know, thanks for I, lo I, I love the diversity. Years work. Right, and then and there's things that you've done that you may not even realize have changed the course of music. You know, in a in a major fucking way. Like we are also have an interview. Well, we did half of it already with Mike Score, and uh, I feel that From way about war. him too. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, yeah. you guys were both at the same time kind of like pushing those boundaries, if you will. If there were boundaries, I don't know, lack of a better term. So, Yeah, there was definitely uh, restrictions that were made on music. And you could only do this or you could only do that. And, uh, you know, that got me a, a lot of uh, a lot of people angry. But that's okay, you know. I kind of think, like you said earlier, if you're getting people pissed and angry, you got to be doing something right. Sure, that's what I. That's how I would justify it. You know, I mean, it wasn't fun to have everybody be super fucking mad about the music I made. Uh, you know, and even to the point of threatening violence against us for making music that they didn't seem to like. But uh, you know, that's the time that it was in. It was like that. You know, it's a strange, strange situation, strange world. Very. 
That is weird to threaten somebody but, physically over music that you don't like. Yeah, that's know. that's. Uh, I guess I've seen some Pantera people fight over Pantera before. That <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, even even when I was younger, like if I I, I would make handmade Misfits shirts and stuff like that, you know, that I'd mm-hmm. wear because you couldn't even buy fucking shirts. It didn't. It wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have to make your own. And people would pull, you know, I'd be skateboarding with my friends on the side of the road in a parking lot or whatever. And a pickup truck would pull over. People would try to hit us with bottles, fight us, you know, just because we liked the kind of music that we liked. You know, it was crazy times, you know, the 80s. Yeah, through all the safety but there was and a, panic shit and all that stuff, I would imagine. It yeah, was maybe that had a part of it, too. Yeah, that could have played a part in it. But at the same time, you know, you know, I have to be 100% uh, honest here. While I was not happy to be hunted uh, for for enjoying certain kinds of music or for skateboarding or whatever, at the same time I kind of it kind of felt, or at least in my head, I justified it as you know being an outlaw in a way. So like all these people were pissed, and then I'm sort of like you know like an anti-hero in my own mind because I'm like, well, I'm fucking pissing these people off to some so such a degree that they're getting all away. So I must be doing something right, maybe. And, uh, you know, that's how I would justify it after uh, you know, getting jumped by pickup trucks full of guys or whatever it would be. But uh, at the same time, it didn't discourage me from making music. Maybe it gave me more fire in my belly to keep making more. So, well, yeah, glad you didn't luckily, it. kids don't have to deal with that. Yeah, now you can kind of, I mean, anybody can put a record out from their living room now at this point, and it can be complete trash from my point of view and complete gold to somebody else's. I don't know. And it's not, yeah, it's not like people yeah. are getting beat up over it anymore. Maybe they are, but I don't, I don't really think it's as much of a thing. Yeah, I don't think so, because like my children, they listen to some pretty mainstream hip-hop stuff. And mm-hmm. I see some of the stuff that I listened to as a kid, like, bleeding into their music, too, even the fashion to a degree, you know? Oh, like yeah. uh, uh, Playboy Cardi, for example, he has, like, Liberty Spike haircut, like GBH would have had, you know, yeah. and then some of these other guys are dressing kind of like, you know, wearing even even wearing black metal shirts and uh, you know, other stuff like yeah, that, so or punk weird. shirts and things. You know? I'm so I'm not sure if they actually really like it or if they like the fashion or whatever it is, and that's not for me to fucking judge it either, you know. Right. But it's it's kind of cool to see that stuff go full full circle. Something that was literally dangerous to wear uh, now is is you know in fashion that's kind of cool i guess you know maybe i maybe i was ahead of my time <laughs> and now, now you can like you can go to walmart and buy a misfits t-shirt or a wu-tang t-shirt oh, yeah like, it's, it's, so it's crazy. crazy time that we live in the stuff that was taboo is like just normal now yeah it's a funny thing and there was a there was a fashion company that's in the mall in uh in some places and i can't remember what it's called right now but they did a shirt called the integer which uh, was an homage to my shirt that has like a square on the front that says integrity uh-huh. in a clean font. Uh-huh. And they made a, uh, they put their brand name in it. I can't remember what it is right now, but uh, that was in the shopping malls and stuff. And me and my friends got a kick out of that, you know. Definitely. And, it's kind of flattering, actually. Yeah. I, w- I mean, I would think it would be. Yeah, I took it as flattery. You know, some people were messaged me and said, oh, you should be mad. I said, well, what am I mad for? It's cool that these these guys are inspired by that stuff, you know? Yeah, it's like free advertising. I don't know if anybody ever put two and two together and said, hey, let's check it out. Maybe that's a band. But I think, <laughs> you know, they, they put Integer uh, as, as the name of the of the shirt itself. And it said inspired by uh, some kind of 
Uh, Metallic okay. hardcore okay. band or something, you know, real basic uh, description. Gotcha. But I don't think anyone was like, because the people who bought those shirts, I think it's kind of like an Abercrombie type store. Gotcha. I, I don't think oh, if I, you know what that I'd even is. I'd be laughing for sure. Now I, I totally see it in my head. Yeah, it'd be funny. It's like yeah, so I think like if those people listen to it, they'd be like, this shit sucks. <laughs> yeah. So as somebody who like got to live through the satanic panic because i'm only 32 years old so i wasn't born until i wasn't born until 91 um but i've always been curious of this from people who grew up in that era like obviously you probably heard like metallica and iron maiden and judas priest and that sort of thing first but when you first heard like Bathory or possessed or um you know stuff like that like what kind of impression did that have on you hearing something come out that was like that heavy that dark that evil i, I didn't hear that until I, I had already heard Gizem and i had already heard uh septic death and bands like that um okay. i heard bathory later so that was something that i heard much later than than the other other stuff so i had heard when i heard do you know what septic death is you, yeah. can, you know that group yep is? yep when I heard that, it was like fast and evil and had this real crazy artwork with it, real amazing artwork, but a horror artwork. And and similar to Gizem, they had great artwork too. And it was like kind of like early Motley Crue, kind of uh, like Shout at the Devil era Motley Crue guitars with like the band was dressed in like, you know, like glam with like high heels and like puffy hair, you know, big cock rock hair. But then the singer was like, a crazed terrorist wearing a ski mask and grunting and saying broken English craziness. And to me, that was like, what the fuck? This is amazing. You know, that was, that was the stuff that opened my eyes. And also Sam Hain, which was a uh, dancing second band. Uh-huh. When I heard that, I was like, I heard that before I heard the misfits because that was the, the years that I misfits had already broken up by the time I was into that kind of stuff. So those were the bands that kind of inspired me more. I think, I heard Bathory and Celtic Frost and all that stuff, but I heard that like uh, the end of the '80s or something, you know. That's still uh, pretty gotcha. pretty early on, though. Like, uh, you know, because a lot but, of people don't catch on as much as people would like to say. Like, I've been listening to Bathory since '84. Like, if you weren't in that area, there's a good chance that you probably didn't hear it till a little ways down the road, uh, maybe. But I think I heard Venom before I heard uh, Bathory. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys that would like do tape trading and things like that with one another with friends, you know, you'd dub a tape for a friend cause you'd have a record and then you'd use that as your like master. And then you'd copy it for a friend every, mm-hmm. every once in a while. And then that friend would copy his, whatever he had that you didn't have. Cause you know, when you're a teenager, you can't afford everything. And there was no, no such thing as streaming. Right. MP3s didn't get invented until 1998. So I, I, I was a, decades before all that was possible to share. But uh, as far as the satanic panic question, I mean, I think that, you know, the satanic panic was a thing that that really was uh, inspiring for me as well, because I was told my family's very religious and, and everybody around that, that world was like, if you like this kind of shit, you're, you're, you're the devil spawn, you know? And uh, again, you know, I guess I had the anti-hero kind of vibe going on with that as well. It helped fuel my my creative stuff. Yeah, it would have to me but, too uh, had I had been around at the time. Because even when I was younger, growing up, like anything that was 
kind of edgy or would like ruffle somebody's feathers a little bit as far as music or t-shirts or anything like that goes like I was all about it yeah I mean that that was something I would gravitate towards too I mean ultimately and and mainly because of I loved horror movies and like that kind of was like the, the soundtrack to horror movies in my head or something mm-hmm. uh, I don't know I just sort of I, I probably take approach everything wrong but that's what I like so I don't know no, but shows, you know, uh, the Satanic Panic was was a kind of a cool thing in a way because it made everything scary and like you know there was a serial killer around every corner and it made me like interested in that kind of stuff and interested in cults and interested in you know is that true is there really fucking cults out there sacrificing children and doing crazy shit is that a real thing or is this just propaganda right and then I got into like researching that kind of thing and, and finding out a lot about weird cults and that inspired me lyrically. And, uh, you know, I found out a lot of interesting things by, by researching that on my own before the internet was available. So I don't know if it was more rewarding to have to do the legwork pre-internet or if I would have preferred to be able to just touch something and find it now. Sometimes I wonder about that. If, if I had all these tools at my disposal when I was right now 16 what I would make and would it be interesting or would I just have so much uh resources that I would just get stuck and kind, kind of, of overwhelmed and spin not, my wheel. not sure what direction you want to go in yeah I don't know it's hard to say I mean I would like to, to have the chance to do it of course but you know right. that's not going to be possible for me so I just keep doing what I'm doing and having a having a good time creating things that I like to listen to and finding new ways to do it. And, you know, technology now is, is fantastic as well. I'm not going to be one of these older people who say, Oh, this is great in the old days. It was fucking terrible in the old days <laughs> with uh, not being able to do shit. You know, like when I would record a record, I'd have to go to a fucking really expensive recording studio they didn't want me to record there. They'd only allow, they'd only tolerate me because I had a record deal because the bands that they were recording at the time were all like um, R&B type groups and they didn't want anything to do with this kind of shit. Like they would literally say, this shit sucks. We don't want to fucking record it. But since you have a record deal, that's good for our business. So we'll let you record here, but we don't want any of your bullshit, you know? Right. I guess they thought we were going to be sacrificing babies or God knows what, you know? Yeah, doing the whole Some, Alice Cooper sometime. thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they thought, but they were definitely were not... Uh, Friendly? We're not excited to work with us, you know? And they were like, what? And every time we'd make, why do you have to yell? Can't you sing nicer? Why does the guitars have to sound like that? Can't they sound, you know nicer on the ears and so on and so forth but you know yeah you're not we making a Lionel Richie album you know yeah yeah <laughs> easy on Sunday morning yeah, yeah. so right. now that now that you do have all these tools at your disposal in regard to music uh, like what are some of the newer bands currently that you've been into oof uh, there's a lot of bands that I like newer bands let's see uh, I listen to a lot of noise stuff still um, I don't know if that's going to be interesting to anybody to talk about. So, um, who cares? Normal We're bands. here to talk to you, not to them. Spit it out. Let's see. Uh, let me go to my computer because I can read it if that's all right. Because yeah. I don't really, I don't use the streaming services for the most part. I mostly go to uh, 
either Bandcamp or I buy tapes, and then I, I rip them to to my phone because I, I have my phone with me all the time. Right. Okay. So here's the top stuff that's in my my computer right now. I have a uh, Mutilations uh, Black Millennium album. I have White Swan uh, Insatiable Lust. That's like Finnish noise stuff. I have Irrified Catacomb. Uh, that's like a Canadian, um, like kind of like an homage to Forbidden Citadel, which is like a Tasmanian lo-fi black metal band from 15, 20 years ago. I did some, I, I produced uh, their discography record for them when they, then they put it out their whole collection on, uh, oh, awesome. on what, a friend of mine. What was the name of that band? Oh, was, am, I, am I going too fast? I'm sorry. No, you're uh, good. I was uh, just writing these down as you go. The name of which band? The band that, the band that uh, you that I did after uh, Eurified Cat. Yeah. So what happened was they had a collection. They had a collection of all their recordings. Some were tapes. Some were seven inches and things. Uh -huh. And then I made it all so it worked together. And then there was a discography uh, one and discography two. And then I, I put those together for a friend of mine's label and for the band, which I'm a fan of the band. And that band is called Forbidden Citadel of Spirits. Forbidden. Citadel and it's like of raw raw black metal real real uh lo-fi kind of thing and uh an interesting like uh you can find uh you can find it on youtube and stuff i think and discogs but i think that the 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 collections that i worked on and i'm titled as vermapeer on those the collections that i worked on uh i think they're real expensive now 100 bucks or 200 bucks a copy something like that yeah that but happens a lot not because of me you know, just because it's because it's uh, limited edition and in hand. Uh, so this irrified catacomb is sort of like an homage to that stuff, the kind of like um, going towards that. Okay. And then as I scroll down here, I have a uh, an illegal copy of uh, Jesus is King Two from Kanye West that uh, Dr. Dre and him worked on that leaked, and I got a copy of that. And then I have a uh, Maligne uh, Cerebra hate unbridled pain unrivaled and uh then i have uh what else scroll here some of my stuff that i'm working on i have the new city morgue album my bloody america which is like uh screaming hip-hop stuff yep i'm familiar with like. that and then i have uh my friend's band exome from italy uh procreation and blindness i have a uh, sword dream hisham ikira buruka which is a, a collaboration that they have with uh, with that guy, and uh, and I have Travis Scott's Utopia. I have uh, Cervical Smear. Uh, the album is called Ophelia and Bone Marrow. Bizarre Rituals, Flesh Demon, uh, Rudolf Eber, uh, Brenna Resorgra, which was a Black Legion stuff. I don't know. Should I go on or am I? Is this crazy? <laughs> No, that's what I wanted uh, to know. It's uh, it's uh, like you think you listen to underground of, music, and then like you ask you, and like I've heard of like four of these things so far that you've listed. Yeah. So I've just been writing them all down. I like uh, Eviction, which is a uh, Victoria Shen's uh, electronic stuff she does is really um, phenomenal and uh, inspiring. The way that she does uh, her performances, as well as the ideas that she has. Um, I like uh, Slickback, which is uh, a uh, 
an African musician who uses like uh, FL Studio to sort of do this kind of like it's in between electronic music and uh, and and almost black metal in a way. I have some I White House uh, live stuff. Fruity Loops and forever. I didn't know people still use that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's used, man. You know, there's a special each each of these each of these DAWs have their own way of working. You know, so right. some of them can work, work like almost like their instruments, which I think FL does. And then they have other ones where you have to make the instruments get recorded. And I think with FL, you can sort of use it almost as an instrument sometimes instead of as just a recording thing. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I got uh, Tater, which is like an Italian crazy. Uh, uh, power electronics i have uh uh this uh southern gospel album called uh they call us holy rollers which is about the jail the jolo church it's sort of like you know like uh, uh pentecostal like my family's like pentecostal uh, christian like faith believers you know like uh-huh. Uh-huh. believing in faith and snakes and serpents and stuff and, and like so this is music of that kind of world and uh that I, I have a, an album of that that I'm listening to. Have you heard I have, of uh, some demos for the new? Sorry, I wasn't trying. Uh, to cut you Did off. you say something? Yeah, yeah. I was just uh, not trying to cut you off. No, no. I was go gonna, ahead. Um, I was gonna ask if you'd listen no, to no, no. Twin Temple because they're a little kind of obscure band that's like satanic doo-wop music. Yeah, I play. I played a show with them in uh, in, in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, just uh, like, a couple years. A few awesome. years ago. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them live. It was a festival called Psycho Psycho Las Vegas. They played uh, with us at uh, at the, uh, I think it was the Hard Rock stage or something like that. Um, the Rock and, Hard Rock Cafe stage, I think it was. Yeah. Or, or No, no, maybe the House of Blues stage. I don't remember. But um, One of those yeah, places. they were so, something like a satanic Amy Winehouse in a way. That's exactly say. how I, yeah. everybody that I sold their records to in the store, I told them it was satanic Amy Winehouse. <laughs> That's exactly how I sold <laughs> it. I seen them open up. So for Amy Winehouse. Oh yeah, yeah. That's cool. I took my kids. Amy Winehouse, she, she had a, the backing players on that that popular record that she did was the Daptone people, and I love a lot of the Daptone stuff. You know, like uh, Charles Bradley was, uh, I think, one of their 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 best uh, groups that came out of the Daptone label. And Como Mamas, I love that. Uh, oh, yeah, that's the yeah. uh, gospel stuff that was also on there. Yeah. So yeah, we like to dig around to into all sort of different but, stuff. No, I get it. Like I could do the same thing. That's why. That's why I ask, because we like talking to others. Sometimes you get an interview with somebody who, like, yeah, I pretty much only listen to metal or I only listen to hip-hop or whatever their genre of music is. So it's cool to talk to other people that are completely unbiased and all over the place. I love Meatloaf and, uh, you know, <laughs> I really love love that stuff a lot. And uh, Jim Stein, Steinman, who, who did all the writing for Meatloaf, I, I love his stuff. Yeah, uh, he did a lot of it. It kind of works yeah. out like you listing all of this because a lot of times we like to, we usually ask people at the end of our episodes, like, what's something that you listen to that nobody would expect? Because we like to try to get people to either give us a guilty pleasure or like just something that they're like, oh, I listened to. Like a friend of mine that's in a Detroit hardcore band was like, oh, I listened to. Uh, some Italian like folk singer guy that I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but 
I was like, yep, see, never would have expected that shit. Or like people tell you like just something completely off the wall. And then sometimes it's not surprising at all. But we like to get like the, the little musical secrets out of people. Yeah, this isn't a secret. I, I like a lot of different stuff. I don't have a guilty pleasure. I just like music. Uh, you know, I don't eat the same meal every day. Right. I'll eat different things. I think music is the same way. So as I scroll through here, I mean, this is stuff I like. Uh, you know, if, it might not be for everybody, but, you know, there's – so it goes from, like, Sam Cooke to uh, White House. Uh, let's see. What else is in here? There's Wolf Eyes. That's from your neck of the woods uh, in Michigan. Yeah. And so – yeah, now I was reorganizing I records earlier because I had to move a bunch of stuff at my house. And my collection goes like a flock of seagulls to Emperor to Erica Badu. To, it's all over the place. Yeah, that's the way to enjoy music. You know, there's no rules to it. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we're coming up on like two hours here and we try not to keep these things incredibly long for people just because, you know, it's hard to get people to listen forever. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I understand. Yeah, so uh, we're going to start wrapping this up. But, like, one, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your night to sit and talk with us. It's been a ton of fun listening to stories and talk about your multiple projects. And uh, hopefully our side of things was not boring for you because I wanted to keep it a little less integrity-based and a little more just your musical career. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I love integrity too, so I don't, I don't have a problem with talking about the same stuff over and over again. I understand that, uh, you know, it's, it's something that isn't for everybody. So, you know, I, I also know that, uh, you know, I don't expect the whole world to know integrity or, or, or to like it either. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with that. Well, we like to kind of if keep you guys things wanna... fresh because integrity's been talked about a bunch but i feel like other stuff that i've listened to you on you didn't get to touch as much on like your other projects well thanks for taking an interest in it i appreciate that oh i have a okay i have a random integrity question that okay you have answered but i so the cat skull i know that came out of an old comic an old like vampire comic i believe that you had... Yeah, it's not a cat. It's a vampire. Oh, okay. Okay. Do you remember the name of the comic? Yeah, it's called Blood a Tail. Blood a Tail? By Kent Wh Blood, uh, colon, a tail. And it's about a vampire uh, that grows old and the cycle of life repeats itself. It's a very great book. I recommend it to everybody. Awesome. I'm going to check that shit and out. And it's, it's by uh, Kent Williams is the artist. And I saw what well, what happened was Danzig had taken a uh, skull from a comic called Christar and made that the Sam Haynes skull, and then later uh -huh. the Danzig. Skull. Uh -huh. And I knew that story somehow as a kid. And so when I started my band, I said, "Well, you know, I love Sam Hain and and Danzig and stuff, so I should do the same." And uh, I uh, happened to have this this comic, and I thought that that image looked striking. So I I redrew it with a pen and on a piece of paper, and then I said, "Well, I'll use this," you know. And then what's funny is I had been pen pals with Pusshead, the artist, and uh, he also was the singer of Septic Death. And I had been pen pals with him since I was like thirteen. And so a funny thing happened was that like over time he ended up doing artwork for the record 
Humanity is the Devil by Integrity. Okay. He did the original cover work for that record. And uh, I, I talked to him, uh, you know, through letters and things like that. And eventually we met in person out in California. And he said, you want, you want to know something funny? You know, that skull that, that you, uh, you drew for your logo? I said, yeah. He's like, that's from a comic book. I said, yeah, it's from Blood of Tail from Kent Williams. He goes, Kent's a friend of mine. And you won't believe the painting that hangs over my bed. It's that painting itself. And I said, oh, yeah, that's, that's, so that's, that's amazing. Hey, that's serendipitous. You know, it's so that like painting that is, hangs over a lot. Uh, It does happen to me that a lot. Serendipitous it's a weird shit. Thing. Like uh, we both listened to the, uh, you know, Joe Hardcore uh, episode. And yeah. yeah, throughout your life, it's pretty, it's remarkable how these little things happen to you like that. I've been in the right place at the right time sometimes, so. and sometimes I've been, sometimes I've been in the wrong place at the yeah. at the wrong time or the right time. It depends on how you look at it, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, sometimes so, they jump out yeah. of trucks. Sometimes yeah. they don't. Well, all right, man. Um, once again, like thank See you it. very much. We appreciate you taking the time. It's uh, it's been really cool to sit and talk to you. I could probably do it for the rest of the entire night, but I'm getting kind of hungry. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you saying that, man. And it's been a pleasure talking to both of you guys. Thank you so much. And I wish you the best with your podcast Thank you. and your Thank record you. shop. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take her easy. All right, man. You enjoy the rest of your night. And I'll um, I'll be in touch with you over, you know, in between releasing this and whatnot. I'll make up some artwork and stuff to post around and all that good stuff. Thank I'll you again. Talk with you soon. Thanks again. And uh, you have a good night. You too, guys. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you both.